Well, this past year, most of us saw more change than any of us have ever seen in our lives in one year. Uh, perhaps you uh, couldn't wait for the year to be over, and now it's finally the new year, and a lot of things still seem to be the same, although there's perhaps a little bit more hope on the horizon than there was last year. Typically, for people, when the new year starts, they start to think about change or New Year's resolutions. I usually start my new year in September. It's a lot less crowded, and it just, uh, it just, it's too busy to start anything new, uh, you know, right after the holidays, as far as I think. But I could understand that if you came into this year and you're thinking of making changes, it's quite possible that you just have no more change left in you. You've undergone so much more change. All you want to is you want things to get back to normal, even though you have no idea what normal is anymore. People have different reactions to change. Some of you like change, and some of you hate change, and some of you are in the middle. How many of you like change? Not too many of you. That would be me, though. How many of you hate change? Okay. Who's that pretty woman back in the far corner who raised her hand? Oh, wait, that's my wife. Opposites attract, right? <laughs> Always makes me think that, you know, you know at least she's not going to change me. She hates change. <laughs> so, and how many of you are in the middle when it comes to change? That's most of you. You're in the middle of it comes to change. I find that most times people don't like change because in a lot of ways they're just uninformed. They, they don't, they don't want to ask or they, they don't seek to become better informed. Now, this year did not help at all for when it comes to change. I can't think our politicians could have done any worse than they did last year. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. I mean, every time I would hear this partisan stuff in the midst of a national crisis, I was like, where are the leaders of the past who could put that stuff aside and say, let's just, let's just rally the people? And so what was going on was so confusing and so frustrating because the information kept changing, and so did the conspiracy theories that kept, they kept changing. So the question for us today, I think, is this. What are some of the things the Lord wants to change in all of us and in his church that last year may have revealed and years past may have revealed need to change. The title of our message is New Year, New People, New Church. New Year, New People, New Church. So let's take the first one. New Year, well, that's obvious. It's the calendar changed and it's a new year. New people. Well, what are new people? Well, that has to do with the change that the Lord wants to make in all of us. The Lord always wants to change things. As we are being conformed, the Scripture tells us, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, man, dude, I'm so glad that you're here. But for a Christian, we're told, followers of Jesus, that we're being conformed into the image of Christ, and that's a slow process called sanctification, and it's an ongoing process. And so there's the new people is the change that the Lord wants to make in us. In other words, that we would continue to become the new people we already are because of our identity in Jesus, that we would have 
new attitudes and new behaviors. And those new attitudes and behaviors, which are making us new people, would then begin to have an effect on new people coming to our church. As the Holy Spirit does a fresh work in a church, in essence, um, <laughs> we think of it this way. I'm thinking of it this way. A lot of people have been away from our church during this time. I understand why. You're watching us at home. I, I understand why you have been away. And as they begin to come back, if the Lord is changing all of us through last year and, what's, and as we're going into this year, I want you today to catch a vision. Not that it was so bad in the, in the church. A lot of people are like, man, this is the best church I've ever been to. That's not what I'm talking about. But a lot of people, including you and I, will experience a new church as God is collectively changing all of us. Now, if you haven't been with us on Wednesday nights, James is writing to a group of churches that are going through a bunch of unhealthy disagreements. They are not unified. And let's see how serious God takes this. Look back at James chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. He says, Who is wise and understanding or has understanding among you? Let him show or let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Now, before you say, that's me, I'm the wise one. Let's, we've got a ways to go yet. But, verse 14, contrast, if you have bitter envy, how many of you think bitter envy is good? Not too, not too many takers on that way. Some of your versions say jealousy and self-seeking. A lot of versions, most versions say selfish ambition. I just think that's a great biblical term, selfish ambition. It's not good to have it, but selfish ambition. If you have self-seeking or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Some of your versions say don't be false or don't deny the truth. So this is what's going on in some of these churches. The people are, there's some issues between some of the people. Selfish ambition. Bible scholar James Ropes defines it this way. Selfish ambition is to use unworthy and divisive means for promoting one's own interests. To use unworthy and divisive means for promoting one's own self-interest. Let me give you an example. Many, many years ago at my company that I owned, I had a friend who was arrested numerous times for driving while intoxicated. He had been a salesman from another company that I knew many years earlier. We stayed in contact over the years, and he was in prison, and he was allowed to be on, he couldn't drive, obviously, but he was allowed to go out, leave the prison on a work release thing where he could, uh, he could, go, to work, he could go to work during the day and go home at night. Now, he was in New Brunswick. Our company was in Linden, train runs right there from New Brunswick to Linden. He could do it. So he calls me up and he, he, he begs me for a job. I felt bad. I said, all right, we'll give you a job. One big problem. Man, was this dude lazy. 
He was so incredibly lazy. Back then it was the age of paper, not the age of computers. And he would just keep all these papers on his desk. And you'd say, what are you doing, man? He'd be like, oh, busy. I'm so busy. There's so much going on. He had an accent. Um, I won't tell you where he was from, but it's where my family was from. <laughs> so so he, he was, he was the, the, all the Irishmen are laughing. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so he's, he'd be doing that and doing that. And so he was so lazy and some of the customers loved him because he would talk on the phone with them for an hour at a clip. Now, their bosses didn't love him, but they loved him. They swore by this guy. What do you think the coworkers thought of him? Oh, they couldn't stand him. They couldn't, they're like, not only doesn't he do any work, but he talks so loud, none of us get any, because they were in a big, you know, big office. We can't get any, any work done. So we had to let him go. We had to let him go. And... When he got out, now I waited until he got out, and when he got out, he went around trying to steal all of our customers. And you know how he did it? He told the people that he left our company for this reason only, that I was dying of cancer, and the company would be nothing without me, so he wanted to help the customers. That's selfish ambition. <laughs> Verse 15. This wisdom, and um, I think it's what we call in the Bible sometimes sanctified sarcasm, uh, self-seekers, self selfish ambition people who think it's wisdom, it's a false wisdom. This wisdom does not descend from above, it's not from the Lord, but is earthly, sensual, some versions say unspiritual, demonic. So, so this is what's going on in these churches. You, you think God's happy about this. Verse 16, he gives us the result. For where envy and self-seeking or selfish ambition exists, confusion, some versions say disorder and instability, and every evil thing are there. We might say that this attitude has its consequences in a church. And if it's demonic, we know it's what? It's well-hidden. It's well hidden. We often say that, that the devil is, is, doesn't come in the front door and say, hey, yeah, I'm here to ruin the place. He's a terrorist. He comes in through the cracks, comes in through the ceiling, leave a little door open. That's how he'll come in. Now let's go into chapter 4. Remember, he's talking, James is writing to church people, chapter 4, verse 1. Where or what causes, uh, where do wars, some verses say quarrels and fights come from among you? And the answer is, do they not come uh, from your desires for pleasure? Some verses say conflicting passions that war in your members. Now, we're supposed to all read that and go what? Yes, that, that's what happens. That's where, they, that's where they all come from. Verse 2, you lust or you desire and you do not have. So how strong is that desire? He tells us, you murder. Now, does he mean literally? I don't think so. I think he means hatred. And you covet and cannot obtain. So what do you do when you can't get what you want? You fight and you war. So desire is overtaking your heart. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You don't have because you don't ask God. Now, some people would say, I did. He answers that. He anticipates their objection in verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Another version says you ask with the wrong motives. 
that you may spend it on your pleasures. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses. How many of you think that's good? Any of you think that's good? God says you're cheating. We're, you know, the, the picture of God and his spouse, the people of God, he's saying you are a, you're committing adultery on me when you do that. Another version says, you adulterous people. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, wow. (laughs) Being spiritually unfaithful, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants, or some verses say chooses or desires to be a friend of the world, makes himself or becomes an enemy of God. So, God is very serious about this. He's very serious about this, about the things that may lurk in our hearts, about false wisdom we may carry around in our hearts, and the consequences for that false wisdom. And it's not just consequences in the church. It's consequences in many different areas of our lives. Now, today, big topic in the secular world, and there's a lot of, that could be said for it. A lot of people talk about self-awareness. A lot of people talk about leading ourselves. And the Lord wants his people to be self-aware and to be led of the Holy Spirit, and he wants our churches to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a lot more than just getting along. Now, that's important, okay? Don't get me wrong. It's important that you get along. When you don't get along, you always make extra work for everybody else, right? But it's very important that we, that we get along. But there's an old expression, and it goes like this. And sometimes people take pictures of the screen. <laughs> Will love of self draw me from God, or will love of God draw me from myself. Let's think about that again. Will love of self draw me from God, or will love of God draw me from myself? That is essentially the question of verse 13. Remember in verse 13, he said, who is wise and understanding among you? And then before anybody answers, he says, Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So James is very clear on how off these people were because they were off not just on the outside. Jesus said, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but they're off on the inside. And what's either inside was just coming out in attitudes in a lack of caring, or even coming out sometimes in their behavior. But in the middle of all this, in the middle of all this, when I was doing this on a Wednesday night, I came to these two verses, and I went through them rather quickly, and, I, and because it was late, and also because I sensed the Lord saying, you know, Jim, there's a whole other message here that that. And then I really went back and found out that there was not much information on this and not many people really preaching on this, so focused on the, on the negative. But there's a tremendous positive that's tucked in there that you can very easily skip over. And he says this, our verses for today, you know, uh, the Lord 
telling people living in an unbelieving society how to do church in such a way that it is both pleasing to God and influences the society. So it's both pleasing to God and influences people that would visit our church. Verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above, that is from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Verse 18, not an easy verse. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So earthly wisdom, he tells us quite a bit about. But then verse 17, he tells us just a little bit about wisdom from above. It's God's wisdom, therefore it is similar to what we might call righteous wisdom. Now, some people like to take notes, and after a very long introduction, there's going to be three points to today's message. The point number one will be the vast majority of it. Two and three will just be at the very end, and really, I think, hopefully, will say enough of themselves without little of my explanation. So if you're taking notes, number one, and, and again, this is, this, is, this is painting a vision for what can be, as we can expect at some point in time in this year, to see some of you here today, you're new. It's, it's, you should know what, what we're aiming for, at least, at the very least. And so, but as new people come in, this is what we want them to experience. Not that we are not this, but we want to always be better at these things because we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So number one, God calls us to be a unified church. God calls us to be a unified church, unified in the mission of Jesus. So he says, verse 17, he gets very practical. He wants to show us what wisdom from above looks like and how it lives. But the wisdom that is from above, as opposed to the worldly wisdom which we discussed, is first pure. Let's stop right there. We didn't get too far, did we? It's pure. By calling it pure, the Lord is telling us that everything that flows out of wisdom from above flows out of God's purity, God's righteousness. That is our motivation. So our motivation will be pure, the exact opposite of our motivation being self-seeking, the exact opposite of our uh, motivation being selfish ambition. Pure, we often think of just moral purity, but it also has to do with lacking sinful motives. Why do we lack sinful motives? Because we lack them when our focus is on God, when we have a heart for God, and when we have a will for God. So what does purity of motive do? It is a desire for peace and harmony in a church, it's, it's people who are united in the mission of God. What is the mission of God? To, to help people become committed followers of Jesus Christ, as we said during the announcements. 
we might say that the pure are the people who desire to follow God with unmixed motives, seeking the best for the kingdom of God, the glory of God, and the people of God. So what is that? Let's say that again slowly. A lot of you are writing that down. We might say the pure are the people who desire to follow God with unmixed motives. Their real motive is they want the best for the kingdom of God, the glory of God, and the people of God. Like it says in 1 Corinthians, that people would come into the church, see us loving one another, praising God, hearing the word of God taught and going, gosh, I can't do any of that. I need a savior, as the list is going to show all of us, and falling down on their face and saying, surely God is in this place. And if you don't think that's possible, that's what happened to me. And that's what happened to many of you. Wisdom from above is not education. Education is very important, but that's not what it is. It's not position. It's not intelligence. It's pure. What does that mean? It means that the knowledge and love of God guides all of our decisions. That's what that means. In other words, the person with wisdom from above makes decisions in their life in harmony with the will of God and the word of God. And you'll never know the will of God unless you know the word of God where you find the will of God. So since God is 100% pure, you could in many ways probably substitute the word holy, which has to do with being totally righteous. In other words, wisdom from above is like Light in a dark, dark world. It's the opposite of what a sinful world is. James is teaching these churches that the purity of God's wisdom shows itself relationally. So we will see God's wisdom in our lives in how we get along with other people. Not perfectly, but we will see, in particular, as he's writing to churches, he's telling them, you're going to see if you have wisdom from above in how you get along with each other. How we all get along with each other. I think the Apostle Paul sheds a lot of great light on this in in Romans chapter 12, Verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. The English Standard versions of the same verse, Romans 12, 10, says, Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. J.B. Phillips' version, Let us have real warm affection for one another as between brothers and a willingness to let the other man have the credit. You see, what James and Paul are teaching us is this, that you don't go to church simply for what you can get out of it. You go for what you can put into it. 
you don't go to simply be blessed by other people, a consumer of religious goods and services. You go to bless other people. And here's the thing. Even secular psychiatrists will tell you this. There's, there's, if you ask, if you look on secular psychiatrists, what are, what, are some of the, what are some of the top things that you need to do? You'll find almost on everybody's list, um, get good sleep, get exercising or get moving, and do something for other people. Now, number four usually varies. It's usually like get a dog, get a cat, meditate, get a hobby, something like that, right? But, but those three simple things. So included in that is do something for other people. And here's the thing. If you want to have a more satisfied life, do stuff for other people. The most miserable people are the people who expect everything for themselves. So while when you come to our church initially, you'll find a lot of people serving you. But then we want to invite you into the serving. Because we know that's how you're going to experience true joy and true growth in the Lord. So James gives us three categories of wisdom from above. The first category is really attitudes. Let's look at verse 17 again. He says, First, it's pure, and then here come the attitudes, then peaceable. So it all starts with purity, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Peaceable. What does it mean to be peaceable? Some versions say peace-loving. It means you're not full of bitter envy. You're not full of selfish ambition. You're not combative. Proverbs 3.17 says, The paths of wisdom are the paths of peace. You may be someone who, that person is someone who loves peace and can't stand the drama. And so when something happens that they're not exactly happy with, they think to themselves, Will I really care about this tomorrow? Will I really care about this in another couple days? Next, he, he calls us to second attitude, to be gentle. Uh, some of ver your versions say considerate. All of these are, are an accurate description of Jesus, and, and this one is a particular ac uh, accurate description of God himself. God is very gentle with a sinful world. I mean, he really is. What, is it, what does it look like? Well, it, it looks like this. Having experienced the grace of God... And his gentleness, you are then willing to extend that to other people. We might say that you're lenient. Now, I'm not saying you let people walk all over you, because when people are walking all over you, you're actually sinning if you're not trying to help them change. But in certain things, you're like, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. You're lenient. I, I, one thing that some of you have had to learn with me over the past almost 16 years now is I've had to learn, being a pastor, I have to be much more lenient than when I was running a trucking company. There's <laughs> a, a lot of things that are just a lot different. A lot of things are the same, people, but a lot of things are a lot different. 
let me give you a, a, an example. Um, I've had some of you come up to me, so if, it, if you think I'm picking on you, this has been multitudes of you over the years, and you've come up to me and you've said, uh, I'm like, hey, how you doing? I haven't, I haven't spoken to you in a while. And you're like, are you still mad at me? And I'm like, ooh, what'd you do? <laughs> like, I don't, even, I don't even know or remember what you did. And, and so then they tell me, and I'm like, oh. I'm like, I sort of guess I heard something about that, or maybe I just don't even remember that at all. I got a pretty good memory for that kind of stuff. I'm usually like, I don't, I don't really remember, or I, or I remember thinking, you know what, they were probably just having a bad day, or you know, God was like, you got to be lenient about that stuff, Jim. That's not your, let them figure it out between themselves. You're, you know, let them be grown-ups. Let them be Christians, Jim, right? And, and so I, I'm just like, you know, no, it's fine. And they're like, oh, I was told you were going to be really mad at me. I was like, well, one thing I don't like is when people speak for me. And, 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 and I'm like, I'm not mad. And I go, how long ago did it happen? They go, two years. I'm like, you've been carrying this for two years? And they go, yeah. I go, now I'm mad. <laughs> now I'm mad. That, that you would think that for two years I was mad at you? Seriously, God has blessed me with, with the, what I call the blessings of Route 80. Usually when I'm upset about something, by the time I hit Route 80, I'm already over it. And God is like that. He's, he's just, I, I got it from him if I have, if it's in me at all. And, and, and here's the thing that if you're a leader, uh, if you're a boss, you're going to have to learn to be lenient. When you're serving with other people, you're going to have to learn to be lenient. That doesn't mean that if somebody's late every Sunday and you're left alone with a whole group of kids, which doesn't happen around here, we send somebody else in, that, that we don't say anything. But if you're a boss or a leader, you have to be true to the role and the values of the organization, but you can't abuse the position because you have a title. This person is not demanding, not overly demanding. Yes, we want people to, to do their best. We want people to work. But this person is slow to fight. They're not so narrow and precise on unimportant things, and they're not going nuts about mistakes, especially ones that you, that you can't get back. It's someone who gathers all the facts before they state their opinion, even when they feel they've been wronged. It's the person, the gentle, considerate person is the person who makes every effort to yield to others rather than demanding their own rights. Last of all, this attitude, this person is willing to yield. Interesting, some of the other versions say this person is open to reason, submissive, compliant, sweetly reasonable. Now, this is not a doormat, okay? This is someone who speaks up when things are wrong. Please don't get me wrong on this. This is not a doormat, but this is, this is someone who is not stubborn. This is someone who is not always resistant to change. This is someone who is willing to receive feedback and instruction. Unless it's sin... 
unless it's bad theology, etc., there's just times when all of us must be willing to go with the flow and we must be willing to try new things. This is the way it works in, in church. You want to, I'll let you in on a little church secret. We try something new. If it works, we keep doing it. If it doesn't, we stop and we forget that it ever existed. <laughs> and we move on. It's not a big deal. Now, some of you might be sitting there right now going, well, that's easy for you to say you're the pastor. <laughs> Listen, I'm not, this doesn't get me upset at all. It doesn't. Do you know how many times people have asked me if something is okay after they have already done it? <laughs> now, I could be like, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, well, okay, or like, well, let's think about it, or, or I'll just go home and say, well, I, if I'll just say, well, we could talk about it some other time because I really need to, I really need to think it through better. So, some soul-searching questions: are, are you open to suggestions? Now, some of you right now are thinking, I have plenty of suggestions. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. Are you open to the suggestions of others? Even if you do have suggestions, is it suggestions? Do you have an exciting plan for somebody else's life? Or are you willing to follow through on your suggestions? So are you open to suggestions? Will you really listen to the opinions and feedback of others? It's one of the things I really miss about uh, not having multiple services right now. Because people would tell me things, some positive, some negative, after particularly the first service, and they would say, you know, that really wasn't very clear. What did you mean by that? Or they would just, some people would just go, could you tell me, explain to me what you meant by that a little bit more? Now, I could go, that was clear. You don't get it? What are you, a dummy? But inside I'm thinking, you know what, maybe it was clear in my head, but maybe it wasn't clear coming out of my mouth because I don't, I don't manuscript. I don't type, so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't write down every word, and I, I rely a lot on my memory. And, and in the moment, things I think that God would have for me to say, which I hope is true. But then, you know what I'll do is I keep a memo pad and I'll, that person will leave. A lot of times I'll write down a note or I'll, write, I'll go into the other room and I'll just rest for a minute. I'll write down notes and I'll just put down, be more clear about this. And I'll put a little memo pad up here and it will, it will just say, be more clear at this point or I'll, or I'll mark something off because I appreciate the feedback from people who told me, although they didn't know they were giving me feedback, but they were telling me where I was not clear because you know, if you know me a long time, I don't want you to think I'm smart. I don't want you to think I'm full of wisdom. I want to be clear on what God says in his word. And I want you to understand it. Now I need to be clear that I'm taking way too long. Let me ask you, can you be corrected? Some of you are saying, I don't want that at church. Okay, let me, let me push back on that one. Don't you want to be the best God want, has you to be at church and everywhere in your life? Don't you want to be the best at work? 
Don't you want to be the best you, God can make you everywhere you go? Or do you take anything anybody says to you other than you're wonderful, and even people like this, they can't even take you're wonderful. Do you, is everything an attack and a fight? Is it even possible? This I know this is really soul-searching. I don't mean it to be condemning, but is it even possible that we are telling Jesus, hey, my mind is made up. Don't even you try and change it. So there's three realities, and then we have to really move on. First, we need to be more open-minded. Second, we don't know what we don't know. And most importantly, a church that is pure or full of people that is pure, full of people that have an attitude that of being peaceable, gentle, gentle and willing to yield will be, not might be, will be a great church. You have God's word on it. It will be a good church. And this is what happens with a, not a good church, it will be a great church. And this is one of the benefits of such a great church is you will never, ever, 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 ever have to drag yourself out of bed on a Sunday morning to come to it. Because you, you won't be able to, you won't wait for it to start. You'll be like the people who become new Christians. Pastor Jim, why do we only have church twice a week? Why can't we have it more often? Such a church will be marked by loving and joyful cooperation. And people will see the work of God in our lives. And we will see it too. Still in verse 17, we move to the, the second thing he gives us. We move from attitudes the second category, I would say, is actions of people in the church. James says that the wisdom is that is from above is full of mercy and good fruits. Those are two things that Jesus, James' big brother, often taught about. It's often said that grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, and mercy is God giving us what we, not giving us what we do deserve. So grace, you don't deserve it, you get it. Mercy, you do deserve it, but God says, no, nah, I'm not going to give it to you. Why? Because he's lenient. So what does mercy and good fruit look like? Well, in chapter 2, James called it this. He said, which he took from the Old Testament, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So a lot of that is, is reaching out to others. Reaching out to others. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, and there are tons of opportunities, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Some versions, said, versions say, who belong to the family of believers. We might put it this way, that wisdom is revealed by its results. So wisdom from above works out its faith by being ready to help those in need. However, we're not willing to help those in need for show so people can see what we're doing. We don't do it to feel better about ourselves. And we don't do it for a church to brag, we have mercy ministries here, call the newspaper, get the television company to come here for publicity's sake. It's not a joke either. A lot of people do that. 
that, that's not good fruit. We don't do it to be seen. Good fruit is simple acts of love and kindness because Jesus loves us and he's kind. And hopefully we're so full of the love and kindness of Jesus that there's more than enough for ourselves and it overflows to other people. It's not feeling, just feeling sorry for people. I mean, people see right through that. People know who's the real deal. And people know who's doing things just to feel better about themselves or doing it for themselves. You see, biblical mercy sees that we're all needy people. And like Jesus, rushes in with self-sacrificial love in different ways. And it can be little things, man. Did you ever, did you ever, you weren't really feeling great about things or about yourself or something like that, and all of a sudden you get a text from somebody and you think, oh, I got a text from, you know, so-and-so. But it was really from God. God laid it on their heart to send it right at that right time. So when, when you get that sensation of you want to just text somebody and encourage them, do it. Do it. So many, I think, of, I think a lot of times we have all these phones full of people's contacts and we're not taking advantage of it. In the Gospels, Jesus primarily taught people the word of God, called them to repent and believe, turn to God and put their trust in him, and he healed people. So, so that should be a lot of our goals to, 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 to share the word of God with people, to heal them, to be healers, not wounders. Sometimes there's a time for wounding. The scripture says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but, but that shouldn't be the, the way we are operating all the time. Now, some people will, will counter with, well, but Jesus fed people. I agree, as he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. <laughs> so like Jesus, we want to be ready to forgive when we're offended. We want to welcome people, not smother them, welcome people we don't know. In a church, we want to bless people we know in ways that they might be blessed. You know, if, if, you're, if you're in the parking lot ministry, you're not serving that day. You get out of your car, you look at your, you look at your compadres and you say, anybody need coffee or hot chocolate? Maybe you're serving in the children's ministry. Walk in there. Anybody need anything? I'm not on today. I can jump in if you need help for a second. Oh, I got to go to the ladies' room. I got to go to the men's room. Hey, I'll jump right in. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm, I don't have to be on. I'm always on the schedule. You know what I mean? That's what I always say. I'm always on the schedule. And, and so, or, or maybe you're just saying, you want anything to drink? Does anybody need anything from the cafe? We don't have the cafe now, but on all those things, you're, 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 you're helping people. You're blessing people. Still in verse 17, he, he moves into the third kind of category and deep into our hearts. He says, we do all this without partiality and without hypocrisy. We don't just help our friends. 
Can I just say that again? We just don't help our friends. We just don't, we just don't welcome our friends. It takes nothing to, to look somebody in the eye and say, good morning, it's great to see you, and smile. Do you know how many times I've been told that people say to me, I like to come here on Sunday mornings because it's the only time anybody ever smiles at me all week long. Somebody just raised their hand. That's sad, man. That is sad. A smile. Any of us can smile. You see, the goal of the church is we are to invite everyone into the family of God. The mission of Jesus is all people. You see, God knows, you read through these verses in James, you read through the book of James, it's a tough book, man, it's tough. But God knows favoritism is common in his church, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like people taking sides, especially if you don't have the facts. To make it relevant in our culture today, and this is something that I've dug in the sand, my feet in the sand on this one before, and I will again. God doesn't like discrimination of any sort. He hates it. Hates it. And you know what? I'll say this. Some of us need to be willing to listen with a heart of just hearing, not of trying to fix it, of our brothers and sisters who have experienced discrimination of which we have not experienced. And love them for the hurt that they have experienced. You will be the better for it, trust me. You will be the better for it. While God wants us to be yielding to him and with one another, he wants us to be unyielding in, in our faith. James puts it this way, without hypocrisy. You're not fake. You're not an actor. You're not wearing a mask. You know, sometimes Christian people can... They used to say back in the day, Christian people are the only people who eat their own. It's terrible. Sometimes Christian, we don't have a lot of people like that. They don't really fit into the culture very well here for that. But sometimes Christian people can be really, they're like mafia people. They're like, I love you, bro. I love you, bro. They leave the room and they're like, whack them. <laughs> Serious, man. I love you. I love you to your face. And then, and then, I hate you, I hate you behind your back. God wants churches to be stable, trustworthy, and honest. He wants churches to be places where people can share their deep hearts and their deep burdens. And that requires churches to be full of followers of Jesus who can keep a confidence. 
I tell our small group leaders, I don't need to know everything that goes on in your group. But if someone is talking about suicide, someone is talking about getting divorced, someone's under extreme hardship, tell them, I'm going to tell Pastor Jim so we can help. But the other stuff, you know what? Some couple's like, yeah, we had a bad fight on the way here and the car on the way here. (laughs) Okay. You were just honest enough to admit it. The other couples weren't. (laughs) We need, God wants churches to have followers of Jesus full of people who want to help people in need, who need help, or to be the very people who provide that help. These are characteristics of a follower of Jesus in a church that will change their corner of the world, which again, that takes us to number two, and two and three will be fast. Number two, God calls us to be a harvesting church. A harvesting church. Verse 18 Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As we sow the seed of the gospel, as we sow the seed of the grace of God, in our church we will see and enjoy a harvest. It will change us all, and it will change the people who encounter us. Now, I said verse 18 is difficult to understand because we're used to Jesus saying we sow the seed of the word of God. But James says the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. So our living this life in front of a lost and hurting world is actually sowing into their lives. We just think of, well, we're just going to tell them the word of God, and that's it. You know, I told them the word, wipe the dust off my feet, so much for you. James is like, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about here. James says, you do this. You do what I just said in verse 17. You will be planting. You will be planting righteousness in people's hearts, whether they know it or not. And that will change them who visit, who believe and who don't believe. That will change all of us who are watching. That will change me and the rest of the staff. And that will change you. That will change all of us. That's the kind of church I want a pastor until I'm 200 years old, man. where people might leave and go, listen, man, we don't believe a thing you said. But man, do these people love one another. I got to hear more because there's something about it, man. There's something about it. That's because righteousness, right living before God, grows in a climate of peace, not of selfish ambition not of someone who wants the church to say, do for me. I'm here to consume. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who promote peace. Not peace at any price, not avoiding 
all difficult situations. Sometimes situations have to be separated. There are those situations, they're not easy, they're not frequent, but sometimes it happens. Such people fight against sin and hunger for the peace of God. So, first I'm going to make you feel awful, and then we're going to rescue it. Real quick. How are you doing at all this? Would you go for an exercise? I want you to take verse 17. I want you to plug your name in. Is you, are you pure? Are you peaceable? Are you gentle? Are you willing to yield? Are you full of mercy and good fruits? Are you without partiality and without hypocrisy? I took the test all week. Not so good. (laughs) Not so good. But you see, if you're not a follower of Jesus, God expects you to do all of this perfectly. And if you don't do it perfectly, you can't get into heaven. That's a problem. So in his great love, God sent Jesus. And he did it all perfectly in your place. And took the punishment for you not doing it perfectly on the cross. So if you would be willing to turn to God and say, I'm willing to change. I need your help but I've already failed. James says in his letter, if you fail in one thing, you fail in the whole thing of God's commandments, but I'm willing to put my trust in Jesus, in his perfect life, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection, and God will put, take your sin and in effect give it to Jesus on the cross and take Jesus' perfection and give it to you. It's that simple to go to heaven. And people go, oh, then I just have to turn to God and put my trust in Jesus. Yeah, that's it. That's that's all you got to do. People go, then I can go out and live how I want to live. And and the truth is, if you've really put your trust in Jesus and you really are a follower of Jesus, yes, you can go live how you want to live because you're going to want to live for Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you know you failed, so if that's you today, please, Contact us during the week. We'll do a Zoom call with you or talk to you on the phone or whatever. If you're a follower of Jesus and you know you failed, you're like, Pastor Jim, I am complete Zippo on this. Before you give up or before you go, this is absolutely impossible. Let's go quickly to number three. God calls us to be a dependent church. Let's move ahead to chapter 4, verse 6. But he, God, gives more grace. Remember, we don't deserve grace, but Jesus wants to give it to us. There's just a catch here with us that the Lord's forgiving, empowering, and unifying grace must be shared. You say, well, I just want it for myself. It's just me and Jesus. That's all it takes. I I I don't need to do any of the stuff that he just said. Look at the rest of the verse. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, a heart that has been freed by the grace of God sees how sinful it really is and is humbled by it. 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're humbled and you see that you need a Savior. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're humbled at the fact that God would still love you even in the midst of your continual failures and my continual failures. But then, such a person doesn't live in that misery. They come to the foot of the cross and there they see Jesus dying for them and they confess their sins They experience the forgiveness of sins, the mercy of God, the power of God over sin, and the joy of God's love for them. So just take a moment, loved ones, whether you're here or you're watching online, because I believe that even people watching online will be able to feel through the internet the effect of churches that want to do this, of people that want to live this life Close your eyes for a second. And just imagine a new year. New people, including you and others who you might meet. And a new church that would really try and live this out. We're going to fail, but the best we can to live this out. Let me ask you a question. Can you see it? Can you taste it? I can. And I hope you can too. It's glorious and it's exciting. It will bring glory to God It will bring new people into the kingdom and it will change you and it will change me forever and ever. Let's pray.